Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Sunny Side Up pod. I, I have a guest today on the pod. I have Cami Nelson with me. We're doing a two-part episode series, so go check out her part on her podcast, the Spilling Lemonade podcast, where she interviewed me with some questions about recovery, and I'm going to be interviewing her with some questions about recovery. So without further ado, let's just get started. So Cami, what was the cause for your ED developing, and did people notice it all? How did that all play out? That's a really good question. So I would say the cause was probably the pandemic. That's, it pretty much started March, 2020, like pretty quickly into the pandemic. And I would say um, a loss of identity was probably the cause. Um, I'd put most of my identity into academic and athletic validation through volleyball, soccer, and then my grades. And when school, like at least where I was, school completely stopped for like a month. And even when we got back, it was online and it wasn't really for grades Um, and like sports completely stopped. And I think that like I felt a loss of identity. And so I kind of tried to look for a new one and found it in an eating disorder, unfortunately. And then what was the second part? Sorry. How did people start to notice or when did people start to notice? So no one really noticed to be honest or no one told me anyways, if they know. So I would, I had an eating story from March to September without anything really happening. And I think people were concerned, but no one really thought I'd be the kind of person, the in quotes, kind of person to have an eating disorder. So I eventually my actually, I, so I way before any eating disorder stuff, it's a genetic thing. I have chronic kidney disease. And so I have to see a kidney disease doctor, a nephrologist um, every three months. And so it was actually at one of our checkups that both my and my mom separately had told her like, oh, she just has a lot of anxiety about food. And she knew that that was really uncommon for me. So she actually just to be on the safe side, like it was virtual, like she didn't have any of my vitals or anything like that. She told my mom that she was sending me to a special psychiatrist. And we both just thought she was going to prescribe me some anxiety medication and then when I got there she like was like put me in a gown and took my weight and we were both really confused but we had never been to a psychiatrist and then she walks in the room she goes so her diagnosis is going to be and then she diagnosed me with an eating disorder and we were both like shocked wow and then after yeah and I was in denial for a very long time I refused I'd always say like don't say the a word as in referring to like anorexia nervosa and I was just in complete denial Um, eventually most people in my life did come forward and be like I was wondering but like I didn't like no one in my life was informed at all so yeah yeah and did you end up going to treatment and what was your treatment experience if you did so I started treatment actually right after like literally right after that appointment I was sent I was hospitalized um and then it was kind of a long journey but um I went outpatient right after that and it didn't really work very well. It was in terms of like food and such, but not mentally. I wasn't really on board with everything. We did FBT. Um, And so then I went to a place in Denver for not a hospital, like in a residential, but it was not a good fit for me. And honestly, it was like, it was really just, it put me at my lowest. And so I left after four days and spent, some time like in a psychiatric facility and then for a while I was just on and off between like medical like hospitals and then like going outpatient again 
Um, during that time, I had a kind of, I'm not gonna, I had a really negative dietitian who was, I really hope she's not practicing anymore. Um, at least not with people feeding disorders, but, um, and finally I went to a PHP and they sent me to residential. I was really reluctant to go, but that's actually where I started real recovery. Um, it was about a week into recovery. I actually AWOLed from the facility, which means I left like, like I ran away. Um, but then I decided while I was like, I was hiding in a bush and I was like, no, I need to recover. This is kind of ridiculous. And so I like walked back and my therapist was like, well, people don't normally come back after the AWOL, but so they let me stay. Um, cause they have like a, you can AWOL once and still stay policy. And so I started like real recovery then. And just from then on, like I completed everything. I challenged myself. I asked to go over my meal plan. I, I pretty much went all in. I didn't call it that at the time, but I don't know. I got like really into recovery and from there, I just allowed it to happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And then kind of a follow-up. Someone was wondering, do you have to stop exercise and how did you do that? Absolutely. So I, even though I wasn't playing on sports teams during my eating disorder, I was exercising in kind of a disordered or in a very disordered way. And so when I was diagnosed with an ED, obviously at in the inpatient level, like there's no exercise at all. Like I wasn't even allowed to like go shower for a while there. Um, and, um, when I got back, there was no exercise and I ended up taking slightly less than a year, but very close to a year off of exercise completely other than like maybe a walk here or there. Um, and it was finally actually at the residential level I was in, they practiced mindful movement. So about two weeks in, I started walks there once I was like medically all good, mentally like in the right place. And then um, eventually we started doing stuff like I was a big volleyball player. Like that was my thing that I liked. So my uh, therapist gave me like a volleyball to play with. So I would play some volleyball during actually during residential and we did like tennis games and uh, I went like a hike. So that's kind of when I started exercising. Then when I came back from there, I continued to exercise until I tore my ACL, which mm. happened. Um, I was definitely like in a healthy place. It had, they don't think it had anything to do with my eating disorder, but about my third game back in soccer, I tore my ACL. So then I took off exercise for a little bit and I'm, um, again, just to like, let my knee heal, got surgery on it. And so I haven't, and now my relationship with exercise is a little bit like, I, it's not, I don't like it as much as I used to, but I really want to get back to it. I'm trying to get into surfing. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. Surfing and rock climbing is my goals. And I'm just like, literally like this week getting into those things again, um, finishing up my physical therapy and stuff, getting back to that. So yeah. So that's kind of that all things regarding exercise, I guess, with me. Yeah. That's awesome. And I liked how you mentioned that you're residential plays practice mindful movement because I think movement can be so helpful to people and being in tune with yourself but it is also important that you are being mindful of when is this not helping me and when is this going to derail me versus when is this really going to help me I absolutely agree with that like that's every person was so individualized like whether you did it or not and I think it's just so different for everyone's journey like some people's journey may not 
include it that fast or may not really include it at all if you weren't into exercise before your eating disorder. I think it really just depends. Um, for me, I know it helped heal like some of that part. And I also know that taking a break was really healing too. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you came back from treatment and you're, you know, at home, how did you cope with eating more than others around you potentially, or knowing that you needed to do what was best for your body? Um, well, to be honest, while I was in residential, um, I mean, we tried really hard not to, but there was definitely some people who would like point it out to me that we had like meal plans, like exchanges, and I would, mine was definitely much larger. And also I was pretty much the only one who had extreme hunger, I think, or acted on it to the way that I did, like in a positive way, acted on it. Um, I pretty much just ate whatever I wanted when I went over my meal plan all the time. So I was already very used to being around um, eating a lot more than people around me. So that wasn't like a huge shock. Um, and I kind of just, I don't know, I got to a mindset where I was like, okay, like, it's not something to be ashamed of. Like, food has no moral value, neither do you for eating it. And like, if someone only wants to say, get a small smoothie and you want to get a large and a snack, like, that does not, that doesn't define either of you. That doesn't really like morally do anything. And I kind of just coped with the idea that also different bodies, different people, different journeys, just it's so individualized in life that there's no point in comparing, like it just wasn't going to work for me. Yeah, exactly. And I think something I've noticed too, is that like, I eat a lot differently than a lot of kids my age, just because like, I like breakfast. I'm not going to wait till like 10 AM to, you know, eat a snack at school. Like I want to have a hefty breakfast at six 30. So I'm going to do that. And you know, it used to throw me off a lot, but then I was like, you know, there really is no point in comparing, like you said, because the way I'm eating, like it means nothing to the way they're eating. And that means nothing to anything, to anyone. Like it's so individualized. Exactly. One thing I saw is like when in right power think is like, I don't understand why I have guilt for eating because I associate the word guilt with like you're doing something badly, especially like that's affecting others negatively. And I used to always remind myself, I was like, what? Like the way you're eating is not going to affect anyone, not even you. Like, yeah. And like, I don't know, that helped me kind of overcome the food guilt. But like, even in terms of like thinking like people eat so differently, like different cultures eat differently, different sizes have to eat differently, different ages. Like everyone has to eat differently according to whatever Mm -hmm. their body wants, different metabolism rates. Like there's just, and there's not a whole lot you can do to control it. And you know, if yeah. in the perfect world, you shouldn't, in my opinion, be doing anything to control it. You know, just, you know, I feel like we're mentally and health physically our best when we're just allowing our bodies to be. Mm-hmm. And so like, even this morning, like, you know, we had like cinnamon rolls for breakfast. This is one of my favorite breakfasts. And even in terms of like, I, in the past, I think I would have really compared like, well, I X amount of cinnamon rolls and my parents only ate this amount. And versus like today, about a year and a half into recovery, or I'm just able, I didn't even think about it until just now that like, you know, how much I ate compared to anyone else or anything like that. Like, it's yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. And then kind of going off of that, as you started to like eat more things and with food freedom, what's been your favorite food you've discovered or rediscovered in recovery? Oh, okay. So before my eating disorder, 
ice cream was like mm-hmm. everyone joked that I was like the ice cream girl and I'm proud to say I'm back to that yeah uh, that's definitely I would love to go out like in a long long time but being known as like oh she really she like really liked ice cream like that was her favorite food I'm a stan of ice cream so I can genuinely say like a hundred percent and anyone in my life can vouch on this since recovery since about a month into recovery I don't think I've gone a day like I've probably eaten ice cream every day for the last year and like I eat way other many desserts like I'll have ice cream and a cookie and a brownie and five you know cookies or whatever however many I want but ice cream is like my staple I go out and get like Baskin Robbins or Cold Stones or just like have a pint of ice cream every day that's my favorite food yeah my one true love is ice cream ice cream is a superior dessert because you can have ice cream flavored like other desserts and like like I work at a gelato shop so I get like I get free gelato all the time I love it I eat so much gelato on my shifts um but I think it's just such a superior dessert because like if I want like um like peanut butter and chocolate ice cream has that flavor if I want a free flavor ice cream if like it has everything and it's so good I totally agree with you it's like the superior dessert it's so it's so good and I I did go through a crumble cookie phase which I kind of grew out of because we don't have one near me and I stopped going down there um but even then I was like no ice cream like still better first yeah it's so it's better it's just it's the superior dessert yeah it is it really is (laughs) How have you learned to deal with bad body image days in recovery? So I actually think I have a somewhat untraditional approach to bad body image. I I mean, it's not like super untraditional, but like when I'm having bad body image, I don't purposely try to trigger it. Like I'm definitely not going to like go like body check or anything like that. Uh-huh. Like, cause that's a, in my opinion is a behavior or at least for me, for me, body checking is a behavior in my recovery, but I am going to like, like, if I'm having a bad body image day, I kind of, I guess, just fake it till I make it. Like, I wear something that I don't feel comfortable in if that's something I want to wear. Like, obviously, if I don't want to wear that, I'm not going to wear it. But, like, I kind of just go f- forward with it as if I've never, as if it's not happening. Like, and I acknowledge it. I use my coping skills. Like, I take some breathe- breathers. Like, but ultimately at the end of the day, like I'm not, I, I try not to change anything. So I try not to change how I dress. I try not to change my mood. I try not to change how I eat. I try not to change how I'm going to exercise. If I'm having a really bad body image day in the beginning of recovery, now I don't really have, I mean, I, I don't like the term recovered, but I would say I'm not really like, I'm not actively in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but like back when I was, or like when I had fear food still, or like I was afraid of this, like I would make sure I had on bad body image a fear food to like reinstate the idea that like my bad body image isn't going to instigate my recovery or isn't going to dictate how I eat and also then like I don't know for whatever reason that helped wire my brain that like my body wasn't associated with like my recovery I guess or like my food I don't know it's kind of confusing but now I just go with bad, bad body image by just reminding myself different bodies different journeys different people and that there really is health at every size just mantras like that and before I stop talking because I've been talking for a while um (laughs) my favorite mantra that really got me help was um I'm prioritizing the life I want to live over the body I want to live it in so that even on bad body image days I remind myself of that I love that and then a follow-up what are your biggest tips to 
learn to just accept your body as it is. Honestly, I think one tip is practicing neutrality. For me, neutrality over positivity really helped. Like just, it's just the vessel that carries my soul. My mom used to tell me that every single morning, every single night, like your body is just the vessel that's carrying your soul. And it really is like, I guess I try to think, I've tried to view myself as a friend. I've personally, I've never viewed anyone else and thought, oh, I want to be like them or I want to be their friend or anything to do with them because of their body. And I try to remind myself that same thing. And I think getting to the root cause for me really helped, like realizing that I felt like I needed validation from my body. So supplying myself with validation in other ways, like validating myself was a big thing to get help with body image and like to get to that standpoint and just just show a lot of self-love self-kindness like do more things that make me happy I guess really helped because that was part of my root cause was like generalized unhappiness so I would say those were like my biggest three things that helped me with body image yeah I think a big thing like is just body exposure kind of like this is my body it just is it's not good or bad it just is, you know, and there are things maybe you can wear or do to make your, like you feel great in your body, but you don't have to feel amazing in your body because it's just a body, you know, and on good days in recovery, sometimes I'll just stand in front of the mirror and be like, this is my body and that's okay. Like it's totally a great body and it's getting me through life. As you said, it's a vessel for your soul. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's also something I forgot I did not I don't for me it wasn't productive right in the beginning of my Mm -hmm. uh, recovery probably not until I was weight restored did I find it something that I did um or did productively at least but definitely I would take once I was weight restored I would take maybe like a minute or two in the morning and just like make sure I took some time to like look at my body but also like the whole time rather than like picking at it or judging it like, I would just say affirmations, like, mm-hmm. this is just the best, like, I would literally just repeat that over and over again while looking at my body. I don't know. That doesn't help everyone, but it definitely helped me. It can help some people. Yeah. Yeah. What are passions that you've discovered coming out of your eating disorder and having the energy to, to live? Oh my gosh. Okay. Favorite question. So <laughs> I have discovered a whole new, I've rekindled old passions, like, I, because my ACL tour, I haven't really done it much lately, but rock climbing was something I loved and just sports in general. So I've rekindled that. And then some new passions I found is, um, well, starting a podcast was like one of my favorite activities. It started as a coping skill for my ACL tear, like as a hobby to do instead of sports. But now it's like generally such a hobby of mine. And then I've noticed that like I've get such joy out of helping others who are struggling with the things I used to struggle with so like starting my um we're not an official recognized but nonprofit yet by the IRS but like um my NGO is like a big um like hobby of mine I love running that and then like I'm trying to get into surfing and then actually this is random but logic puzzles I complete tons and tons of logic puzzles Mm. I love like the mental game of it and then um I'm writing a book, like a novel. So I'm about 50,000 words into that right now. So That's awesome. I'd say those are like the biggest. Ho- Thank you. So I'd say having the energy, like, and that's like also a big inspiration for me is when I sit back and I remind myself that like, 
I tried to write a book while I was in my eating disorder. I've wanted to do it my whole life. And I literally wrote like five pages. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at like page 200 because I have the energy and mental cognition to think correctly and to have unique, interesting ideas. And just a lot of my passions, like any of them, I can't have done. I couldn't have done in an eating disorder. So that's also a big motivation. Yeah, that's awesome. I love, I love the feeling of discovering and like, new things and looking back and like being so like in awe of how far you've come and seeing how much energy you have now it's so amazing it's you really do glow I feel like when you're in recovery like and when you're recovered like it's just uh, I love it yeah what was slash is your biggest motivator for recovery um I really want to be an eating disorders dietitian and as someone who had a dietitian with an eating disorder, I would never want to do that to anyone. So definitely my biggest motivator is to stay. I mean, I would say I'm like at a pretty much recovered state right now, but to maintain where I'm at is like for my future career. Mm, I like that. And did you tell your friends as you were recovering what you're going through and what your life was like? Absolutely. I. I mean, all my friends followed my recovery account. So for starters, even if I didn't tell them myself, my recovery account did. But also, I mean, my closest friends, I have two really close friends and I have a bunch, but I have like five really close friends maybe who I told like, um, and I mean, they were like my biggest rocks. They would come over to my house all the time. They'd help cook for me. They'd sit through hard meals with me. Like, I think telling my friends and like having, seeing how supportive they were was like, and how pro recovery they all were for me is probably one of the reasons I'm still here. Biggest awesome. reasons. It's so, it's so important in recovery to have people you can fall back on and rely on. And so that's amazing that your friends could be that those people for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm just endlessly thankful for them. So yeah. Yeah. And then these two questions kind of go hand in hand. So first what was something going into recovery that you thought would be hard, but was easier than you expected? Okay. That one would definitely be like, I would say gaining weight. I thought gaining weight would be really hard mentally. Um, and it wasn't, I actually really, I ended up liking my weight restored body. Um, like, not just life, but also just like at the time when I still had like a bit of a body focused mind, I actually ended up, it was not that hard for me to gain weight. And that's, I think that's something that at first it was like during the weight gain process, it was hard. But then once I was actually at the weight that I always feared, I was like, no, I kind of vibe with this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a confidence that comes with being at a higher weight in recovery as your weight restoring, because Usually I found people with eating disorders don't necessarily like love their sick body. At least I wasn't in love with my sick body. I was in love with the rules and my eating disorder was in love with the rigidity and the sameness of every day. And as I've come out of that, I'm like, I actually like, I feel so confident in who I am now, you know, and I did not feel that way a year ago at all. Absolutely. I would say like, I was so scared because of something someone said to me once of like gaining weight in my face. And now I'm like, I like laugh, not laugh. I mean, it's totally a reasonable fear when you're in an eating disorder, I guess, but 
like for me I'm like oh wow that's crazy because like I'm really thankful that I did <laughs> like yeah. I just feel so much more alive and I feel like I look so much more alive like yeah. it's really nice the life comes back to your face it really does yes and then switching that around what was something going into recovery you thought would be easy but ended up being harder I thought the easiest thing in recovery would be to take off exercise mm. <laughs> because I was like you're tired like just it'll be fine like you don't even want to, but then as time went by, it ended up being pretty hard because A, I had a lot of compulsive habits and breaking those was really hard and just readjusting like all of my mind frame around exercise was incredibly hard. I thought it would be easy as like take a week off and then go back. So I'd say that was the hardest part. Mm, yeah. And then wrapping up with one of the last questions, what is your advice for how to help someone or reach out to someone who you think might be struggling with an eating disorder? This is a really good question. Um, it's actually interesting. I've answered this one quite a lot, but not ever on a podcast or on my Instagram. My mom's friend, my mom posts a lot about my journey as well. So she oftentimes asks me for like friends who have like, maybe like their daughter or son is going through the same thing and they want to reach out. And I would say, there's no perfect answer because everyone's going to respond differently. Some people may, you know, if someone had reached out to me, I would have been in denial. I, at other points, I would have been happy. At other points, I would have validated my issues. At other points, I would have validated my eating disorder. And so I would say to go kind on yourself and to make the effort to do something is honestly all you can do. Whether that effort is, hey, you know, I'm here for you, like if you ever need a distraction, or if it's, hey, just letting you know, I care about you a lot. I love you. And I'm concerned for you or anything like that. I would avoid using the words like healthy and unhealthy because those can be very triggering to people in an eating disorder. Or I also would avoid mentioning weight like, oh, it seems like you've lost a lot of weight or something like that, I think can val validate the eating disorder. But in terms of like focusing on how you feel for them emotionally, at least for me, that really helps. So you know, hey, like, you don't seem like yourself, like, stuff like that, I think can be, at least for me, was the most helpful, but I think it's super individualized. Yeah, and I think I'm just remembering back on things that happened, and the people that really helped me the most and were able to support me the most are the people who just said, like, hey, I'm really proud of you right now, Ruby, and they didn't mention, you know, any, like you said, they didn't mention any like behaviors or weight or anything. They just said, I'm really proud of how far you've come. And that has something, that is something that has always stuck with me. And I always remember those people for the support they show. And I think when reaching out to people, as you said, keep it general and just always be there. Like you don't, it can, you can just, you can be, it can be unsaid that you're always there, but just always be there for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Cami. Thank you go so much. Go this check was... out her episode because um, this is a collab. Yes. I'm so I've never been like interviewed before on a podcast. Normally I'm the other way around. So this was super fun. And um, I hope something I said was helpful or like that I didn't say um, the quote in quotes wrong thing. Like so. But anyways, I just. I love your podcast and I'm super honored to be on it. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Why don't you let people know where they can find you? Absolutely. Um, you can find my podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple, anything like that. 
And then my Instagram, like my recovery Instagram is at Cami Recovers with like three S's at the end. And um, also, and then if you're interested in finding, I have a nonprofit or an NGO and that's called The Recovered Project. And that's on Instagram. That's awesome. Go give Cami a follow. You will not regret it. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys have an amazing day, an amazing week. Let me know what you guys want to hear next and I'll see you in the next one.